to My Writing Sucks, the podcast where I read my cringy old writing to make you feel better about yours, and it has been a hot minute. As of recording this episode, it has been well over a year since I've sat here in my recording studio, and by recording studio, I mean squished in the back of my closet. It is a lot tighter back here than I remember, but still, we're gonna commit. We're gonna do this because I have a break in between semesters right now, and I want to dig back into some cringy old writing and share it on the internet, because how else would you want to spend your free time? I think it'll be really interesting to record this episode with one whole year of my MFA program behind me and one whole year ahead of me. I was listening to some old episodes of this podcast before I started to record this one, and even in just one year, the advice that I would give Creative Canopy has changed a little bit, and I found myself disagreeing on points with my past self, which really just goes to show how much I've learned in this year from my incredible advisors and peers that I've gotten to know through my MFA program. It's been just an astounding experience. I don't even know if I can put into words, which is really ironic coming from somebody who studies creative writing and words for a living. (laughs) But really, I think what I'm going to take away from this first year is that you're never done growing as a writer. Never. And I think that's why writers can maintain a lifelong career with, you know, the art and never get sick of it, because you're always gaining new skills, you're always finding new stories to tell, new books of others to read. It's just not a static art. And in that way, no matter how far your career may advance, no matter how many awards you may win, you always remain in the posture of a student, always growing, always looking to learn. And I think I find that one of the most compelling aspects of this career that I've chosen for myself. It's very humbling to think that you're never done growing. There's always more to learn. And here in this podcast, I'm just taking a moment to share a few of the things that I've learned on my journey. And by no means am I saying I'm a formal authority on writing, because that is certainly not the truth. I've got a long way to go. And all I really do know is that I love this journey that my writing is taking me on. And I don't want it to end anytime soon. And I find that to be a really good segue into the content of this season of My Writing Sucks, because we're going to look back at the very, very, very beginning of my journey with fiction. We will be going through the YA romance that I referenced a few times in Grief Canopy, entitled Letters. This draft was written before Creative Canopy, actually, so Creative Canopy was not my first novel. I wrote Letters probably a few months before that. And I never connected with the draft in the same way that I did Creative Canopy, which is something that we'll spend time analyzing. I'll also say that Letters is also not the first piece of writing that I completed. Throughout my childhood, I often wrote short stories or started things that I never finished. Letters is technically the first big project that I ever finished. And by big, I I guess that's a relative term, because it's only about 43 pages, 8 chapters. So it's more of a novella than anything, or just kind of a medium-sized short story. And I remember distinctly being very proud of myself having finished this big project for the first time, but I was also incredibly self-conscious about it because I knew it wasn't good. In my heart of hearts, I knew this wasn't my magnum opus, if you will. There was a bigger story, I knew it, lurking inside of me, and that ultimately turned into Creative Canopy, but Letters is dear to me in that it is the first time that I pushed myself to finish something, so I thought I would make you guys all listen to it here on the internet. It is going to be painful, mostly for me, because 
as I said, it's a YA romance. And I was only about 13 when I wrote this, and I feel like there are no other no other details that need to be offered before diving in, so I might just start and rip off the bandage. Thankfully, like I said, Letters is a very short story, and the chapters as well are also very short, so these episodes will be brief, less painful for me, but hopefully you can still get some decent, you know, applicable tips that you can apply to your own writing. So, I'm just really delaying the inevitable. I think I'm going to jump in now. Miraculously, this book does not start off with an out-of-place Pinterest quote, but it does start with a prologue. So here we go. Prologue, which is also, I might say, in like 40-point font in this like ridiculously fancy script. So I feel like I need to say it in a fancy way, like prologue. And now we begin. Nothing is worse than getting your heart broken. (laughs) I can't even do it. Okay, I'm so sorry. What a killer opening. Nothing is worse than getting your heart broken. It feels as if your soul was just ripped from your chest and smashed up and thrown away by the person you once loved. I swear, 13-year-old me, nobody had hurt her yet. I don't know why she's being such a drama queen. I digress. We're one sentence in. I can't even deal with this. And for 16-year-old Eleonora... That is precisely what happened. (laughs) It all started when they moved to the humble town of Prescott, Virginia. A shy, then six-year-old Eleonora managed to muster up the courage to say hello to the little boy next door. Yes, we're going with that cliché. She knocked timidly, and the door creaked open, revealing an also six-year-old boy. His hair was dark brown and stuck straight up. Eleonora took a deep breath and said with confidence, Hi, I'm Eleonora Mylon, and I'm six. She stuck out her hand professionally, (laughs) what an adverb, hoping for a handshake in return. The boy stared at her yellow floral sundress and sandals, then at her long, dirty blonde hair, currently in pigtails. She appeared to be a suitable playmate. He slowly extended his hand. For a split second, he considered retracting. Cooties might infect him, but he got over it and shook her hand. He looked her in the eye and said, I'm Oliver Finley, and I'm six too. Do you want to play with my Legos? There's pink ones too. My sister picked them. Yay. Gender roles. Eleanor looked at him, shocked. I don't like pink. I like blue and purple. Oliver smiled and said, Those are my favorite colors. Come on in. (laughs) Little kid friendships are astounding to me, because that really is how they make friends. Like, you think dinosaurs in green are neat? I also think dinosaurs in green are neat. Let's be friends for life. (laughs) The two newly found friends hopped into the house. This is where the story begins. (laughs) Oh, gosh. This is so wildly pretentious, I can't even. (laughs) And thankfully, 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 that is where the prologue wraps up. And I'm just going to keep rolling right into chapter one, and we'll talk about all my various thoughts at the end of the chapter. Chapter one. Eleanor sat at the kitchen table eating some cereal and staring out the window, looking at the beautifully sunny October day. Her 12-year-old sister, Paisley, ran into the room. Nori, come on, we're going to be late. Eleanor got up and dumped the remainders in the sink. All right, coming. Don't be in such a rush. Paisley groaned and grabbed her backpack and helmet. Her blonde curls bobbed as she ran through the door. Eleanor quickly rushed out behind her. Bye, Mom! Love you! That is all in caps, I will have you know. Her mother yelled in reply. Bye, girls. See you later. Mrs. Mylon worked from home as an author and was always writing something. (laughs) 
I don't know why the author just feels the need to describe the mother's career at the moment, and I would also like to note that like with Creative Canopy, I had no idea how to format dialogue, so almost all of everything that I just read happens in one paragraph, and it hurts. Paisley straddled her orange bike. Come on, Oliver and Janie are already at the corner. She pushed off and dashed down the calm street. Eleonora followed closely behind, staring at the large green wooded area behind their house. Each family on the street had a good chunk of forest behind their property. When they were little, Eleonora, Oliver, and Paisley, and Janie, ooh, that's a long list of characters. Oh, and then in parentheses it says Oliver's little sister, just to clarify. Loved to romp through the woods, pretending it was uncharted and that they were brave explorers. After riding for a couple of minutes, Paisley and Janie turned into the Prescott River Junior High parking lot and waved to Oliver and Eleonora. Bye, sis! Have a nice day! Oh no. There is nothing I hate more than when siblings call each other sis and bro in books. It is just like watching two robots talk to each other and make some kind of attempt at human conversation. He turned back and faced forward. Eleanor rode up by his side. This is just difficult to read because I feel like we're getting so much unnecessary description of what the characters are doing on a very physical sense, but it's also not described very well, so all of the motions just seem choppy again like they're moving with the you know dexterity of a robot a poorly constructed robot and it youch it is not good you know i can tell you right now i kind of wish everybody in this story except for eleonora was a robot because that would be a way more interesting twist than anything that 13 year old me had planned so let's keep going hi olive what's up for you today <laughs> i just have to read it in that kind of corny voice because that is 100% just how all of this dialogue feels so bear with me in my bad voice acting. Oh nothing, I think we have a capital S science test today. <laughs> right? Yeah, I think so. I also have an AP British Lit test. Be glad you didn't take that class. I love it, but it's way too much memorization. She chuckled. Mr. Tuckett should have said to memorize Hamlet by Monday. Gee. Oliver laughed as they turned into the driveway of Carter High. That's so true, and... The bell stopped Oliver before he could finish. <laughs> I would just like everybody to know how much I am suffering reading this. I think what I just find particularly hilarious is that, as I said, I was 13 when I wrote this. Your girl hadn't lived through high school, so this is just kind of my perception of what I thought high school would be like, I guess, complaining about Hamlet. Which, I mean, accurate, but still, it's very funny. Dang it, I can't be late for math. I would also like to note that all of the subject names are capitalized for some reason, like this is the platonic form of math. <laughs> anyway. Eleanor said, quickly chaining her purple and blue bike up and grabbed her books. Whoa, that was a weird sentence. I read that correctly as it's written on the page, but that was weird. See ya, Oliver. Bye, Ella, he yelled back. These characters just love addressing each other by their bizarre nicknames every single second. Eleanor ran through the hall. Won't be late, won't be late, won't be late, she said between heavy breaths. <laughs> right as she dashed into Mrs. Conley's room, the bell rang. Mrs. Conley looked up from her desk, her gray hair poking out from her high bun, her face sour and unwelcoming. Miss Eleanor Mylon, why are you late? Everyone in the room stared, waiting for an answer. Oh yeah, right. I feel like that's like those Tumblr text posts you see, the, the joke about like, and then everyone clapped. It's kind of the same thing, like, and everyone stared at this girl who walked in late one second from the bell. It's ridiculous. Though I will say, I guess that is the teenage experience, thinking everybody is staring at you at all times. Moving on. I, I biked to school and we left late. Mrs. Conley stood up from her clutter-free oak desk. <laughs> 
know it's oak. Why is that important? That was the thing in Canopy too, like aimlessly listing types of wood. I'm glad I've gotten past that habit. You were seconds late after the bell, dear. Most teachers would be fine with that. Me, however, unacceptable. <laughs> she was in Eleanor's face. Her breath smelled like coffee and prune juice. <laughs> what is going on? Answer me, young lady. Why were you late? Eleanor stuttered out again. I biked to school and I left late. Marcy, Eleanor's friend, glanced up at her and smiled apologetically. Mrs. Conley turned away and said stiffly, All right, Missy, because of your tardiness and your lies, you will have extra problems on this test. What? I guess I thought high school was going to be a dictatorship or something with no mercy. Okay. Eleanor sighed and sighed. Thankfully, she knew this section well. From the next chapter. <laughs> Marcy and everyone else's eyes widened at the unfairness. Plus, they'll be worth 80 points. Eleanor had to stop this. She opened her mouth to protest when the door swung casually open. Hey, Conley. I had trouble with my Rolls Royce this morning. I lost the keys and searched forever. Then, finally found them ready in my pocket. Devin laughed. He was the most popular and richest kid in school. Also, not surprisingly, the biggest airhead. If you knocked on his head, you would discover it to be totally hollow. We're going to ignore the, the raging cliches in that section and take a pause to acknowledge something that you, dear listeners, cannot see, which is the fact that Rolls-Royce is in italics for some reason, and I just felt the need to make that detail known so we're all on the same page. What'd she do? He gestured dismissively to Eleanor and took his seat. Oh, she was late. Now, Eleanor finally spoke. Excuse me, Miss Conley. Devin here was later than I was, and he's late every day. If you haven't noticed, this is the first time I was ever late. I know. Devin is... special. Oh, gosh. I don't like the fullness of what this is implying. <laughs> I'm just not. I'm just not. I can't. We're going to keep going. Devin is special. You, not really. Devin sat in his desk, his face stupid and wandering. <laughs> I, I, I honestly kind of like the image that evokes stupid and wandering paired together. Very funny. He picked out a piece of gum from under the desk and popped it into his mouth. Eleanor heard him comment, ooh, fruity. <laughs> oh no, I can't. We're just going to keep moving because I can't unpack anything that's going on here cohesively so let's just let's just power through the end let's just power through look missy deal with it now i'm gonna make this test 90 percent of your grade she cackled ha <laughs> what mrs conley sat down at her desk and began typing eleanor made her way to her seat and shot an unfriendly look at devon he turned around and said over dramatically miss tardy pants over here is threatening me <laughs> oh, why do i subject myself to this torture <laughs> To the office, young lady, in all caps. Mrs. Conley pointed to the door. Now! With two exclamation points. She looked at Mrs. Conley and sputtered out, What? I said, now! Eleanor dashed out of the room, tears welling up in her clear blue eyes. Because this is the time that we need an explanation of her eye color. She walked past the classrooms quickly, hoping to avoid the judging stares of her peers. When she entered the office, she was overcome by the smell of printer paper and coffee. 
The front desk lady, Mrs. Andrews, looked up from her mountain of papers and said, Who sent you here, dearie? Mrs. Conley. She motioned to the chair by the copier. Please sit there for a moment. She doesn't even ask why she's there, just who sent you? What? <laughs> Mrs. Andrews picked up the phone and dialed a number. Mr. Jackson, you have a visitor. She looked at Eleonora. Go through the door, hun. She pointed to a wooden door that had principal engraved on a plaque. <laughs> what? I guess that's so they don't have to change it every time they get a new principal. It's just principal. Eleanor felt like crying as she walked through the door. A bald man in a suit with a red tie looked at her and said, Sit. Eleanor sat across from Principal Jackson. So, Miss Eleanora, why are you in my office? And there's oddly no question mark at the end of that. So it's just a statement. Why are you in my office? <laughs> it's just, what? She sighed. Well, I biked to school and left a little late today. I ran over to Mrs. Conley's class and dashed in seconds after the bell. She explained the rest of the situation exactly how it happened. You've done nothing wrong, Eleanora, except being a bit tardy. That was wrong of Mrs. Conley, and I will speak to her. You may return to class, but you will be getting a notice for being tardy. Eleanora sighed. That was fine with her. Eleanor seems to be sighing like every other line. She walked confidently back to class and finished the test quickly. Then, finally, the bell rang. Eleanor and Marcy walked out together. Wow, what an evil witch. She had no right to do that, Marcy said passionately. Yeah, I know, right? Eleanor replied. She spotted Oliver across the courtyard with his friend Alex. The two girls dashed up and joined them on the walk to science class. Hey, Olive, how was history? Oh my gosh. I cannot with this dialogue, but we will push through. I will finish this. Well, boring lectures as usual, he made a face. Plus a pop quiz. They all groaned. How rude of Mr. Senda not to tell us, Alex said. Alex, that is the point of a pop quiz. He glanced up in though what? Oh, he glanced up in thought. True. You know, I can't decide what's worse. A 13-year-old trying to write about high school having never experienced it, or a 45-year-old woman trying to write high schoolers and pretend to be relevant. Because both voices, there's a strong overlap in that Venn diagram. The rest of the day went fast for Eleonora, and before she knew it, she was biking home with Oliver, Paisley, and Janie. So I guess the only thing that mattered in that school day was her getting yelled at by the teacher who never appears in the story ever again? Why did we go through all that, 13-year-old me? Why did you make me suffer? As they turned down their street, they saw a large moving van in front of the house across the street from Oliver's. And this is where the plot should have started. But for some reason, we had to suffer through those first three pages. Thanks, 13-year-old me, for that. Oh, I wonder who moved in, Janie said excitedly. Dunno. Want to find out? Paisley asked. A half an hour later, the four kids were walking across the street to meet the new neighbors. Oliver knocked on the door, and a very large and unattractive guy opened the door. <laughs> Ouch. Don't pull any punches, 13-year-old me. They all cringed at his sight. Oh, no. <laughs> He had a sweaty and stained undershirt on and appeared to be in his underwear. What do you want? Where are your new neighbors? Oliver gestured to him and the group. He loosened his tight shoulders. Oh, I'm Hank Hankel. <laughs> and just in case you didn't hear what I said, his name is Hank Hankel. Ouch. That's the, that's the tagline for this book, is just, ouch. He scanned the kids over. You look like my daughter's age. He yelled back into the house, Hey, sweetie, come here! With all capitals and two exclamation points at the end, I will have you know. Eleanor could tell the thoughts of her friends. 
This girl was not gonna be pretty. <laughs> Thirteen-year-old me, you're so petty, jeez. Suddenly, a teenage girl with fiery red hair came down the stairs. She was in a black tank top and short white shorts. <laughs> because that's what I guess scandalous girls dressed like in my 13-year-old mind? Sure. Hi, I'm Rydell. She said nicely. She was shockingly beautiful. Her fiery red hair flowed down to her mid-back, and her skin appeared to be blemish-free. Hank chuckled. She looks just like me, huh? Ew! Hank, you're gross. I don't like you. Eleanor looked over at Oliver, who was looking dreamily at her. He liked her. Dot dot dot. A lot. <laughs> he sputtered out. I'm Oliver. This is Eleonora, Paisley, and Janie. Cool. Nice to meet ya. I think I'll be going to your high school. Carter High, right? Oliver and Eleanor nodded. Cool. She a there. <laughs> Obviously, it's supposed to be C, but it's she a there. <laughs> she turned back around and went up the stairs. Later that evening, whoa, time jump, holy time jump, Batman. Th these transitions are very painful. Later that evening, Oliver and Eleanor went and sat on the porch swing in his backyard. She looked over at him. You know, you were drooling today. Over Rydell, I mean. He looked at her happily. Yeah, she's so pretty and sweet. You just met her today. How can you know that? I don't know. She seems perfect. Eleanor gazed up at the stars. She always liked Oliver, but not in that way. It felt weird for him to like another girl. Uh, yeah, sweetie, I think that means you like him. But moving on. You should go talk to her. I think she'd like you. Eleonora, why are you saying this? You clearly like this boy, and you're telling him to go talk to somebody else, you fool. Really, Elle? He looked over at her sweetly his brown, spiky hair blowing in the cool October wind. He was quite handsome. Yeah, she'd enjoy that. She hugged him tightly around his shoulders. <laughs> A wholesome Christian side hug. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and he hugged back. She in the morning. <laughs> and Crave Canopy, it was, what was it, definitely always spelled defiantly, and I think C in this novel is always she for some reason. <laughs> she in the morning. Eleanor walked through the gate between their houses. She turned back and looked at Oliver. He was staring dreamily up at the stars, looking love-struck. For some reason, Eleanor didn't like that. Honey, honey, you know why? She wanted to keep Rydell away, keep him as her best friend. She continued walking. She tried to forget these feelings. If Oliver liked Rydell, he should go for it, no matter what. And I will have you know that long string of words there was all one sentence, which hurts, but that is the end of chapter one, and as an old marginal note says, all I have to say is, oof. Usually I try to say something nice about the writing of my younger self before slashing it, but I'm genuinely having a difficult time trying to come up with something positive to say, so we're gonna take a quick pause while I think of something. Well, I could find absolutely nothing in the text, so the one thing I'm gonna say is, 13-year-old me, girl, at least you finished this. Proud of you in that singular regard. Now, the issues. <laughs> I think the biggest thing about this chapter that I find problematic is that it feels really lost. It doesn't know what to do, but at the same time, it is taking itself so seriously. I thought this was art. Capital A, art. 
Yet at the same time, I would only call about 10% of this chapter relevant to anything that happens in the future. And that might be overselling it, because all that really matters that we know in this chapter is that Eleonora has a crush on Oliver, and now Rydell has moved in. That is all that is important, but those details are buried underneath this weirdly melodramatic scene with the teacher and then that popular kid who also never comes back again. 13-year-old me just really didn't know where to start clearly and thought for some reason that I had to start at the very beginning. I'm talking with the prologue. We start when Eleanor and Oliver meet each other for some reason. And really, what do we learn in that scene? Nothing. Their names, that they're neighbors, that they both like pink and blue? There's no reason to start that far back, and the same is true with the morning. Why do we need to start with Eleanor waking up and being late for school and then oddly introducing her mother and her neighbors? That moment doesn't have any importance. I mean, it could if it were, you know, to be made to be important, but as it is in the narrative, I would have rather started with a scene that shows the connection that Oliver and Eleanor have as friends in some way. And if I were to keep the prologue to then show how the characters have grown in their 10 years of friendship. That would be marginally interesting to readers, I think. 13-year-old me just really struggles with the pacing in this chapter and figuring out where to pause the camera. Like in that joke I made, you know, holy time jump, Batman. I didn't know how to skip from moment to moment on a very technical level. And as a result, I try and cover everything instead of small critical moments. With fiction, detail isn't about length or even just the amount of detail that you offer, it's the quality of it, which is especially important in the first chapter of your story where you're doing everything you can to get the reader to keep reading. And at this moment, I don't think 13-year-old me has really offered any compelling reason to keep reading because, sure, Rydell is here and now Oliver's interested in him, but Eleanor has convinced herself she doesn't like him, so there's really no stake that she has in the game, I suppose. I think it would be way more interesting if Eleanor had this massive crush on him, and then at least you could be a tiny bit interested in, oh, she's gonna hurt, you know, with him going after her like this, but we don't get a sense of that. School is just weird. There's no... There's no compelling reason that I should want to be invested in this story. So, particularly with your first chapter, work on grabbing your reader's attention so they won't want to turn away from your story, they won't want to put this book down, that they'll be desperate to see where this story takes your characters. And that doesn't mean your opening has to be sensational in any way. I think there can be a lot of intrigue and quiet emotional stories as well. And something else I think that's really important to talk about with beginnings is prologues in general. I don't like them. <laughs> in a way, they feel like false starts. They're often insular scenes where then you jump into something completely different, and I think they're meant to be kind of like hooks, but more often than not, I find them more confusingly unnecessary, and stories would be just fine if they started in the first chapter. It almost feels, in a way, like the writer is a little bit insecure in their first chapter and they have to offer the prologue and like, look, look, look what's coming. I swear it's going to get good. You've just got to get through the beginning. That's not what you want your beginning to feel like. Maybe there are good ways to do prologues, but I stray away from them personally. 
This chapter was pretty short, so I'm going to keep this episode short too. Hopefully I hooked you with the first episode of this brand new season of my writing sucks. It really does feel good to be back. And even though I'm not as emotionally connected to letters as Creative Canopy, I am very excited for a few particular scenes that I remember to read. So keep hanging on for some, uh, some extraordinarily melodramatic teen drama nonsense. It's gonna, it's gonna be good. It's gonna, well, okay, it won't be good. It's gonna be entertaining at the very least. But until the next episode, keep on writing and keep being kind to yourself.